whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you're producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am so excited to have my next guest here. We have Charles Kahn, who is the co-author of an incredible book called The Imperfectionist, and I have it right here in case uh, you were watching the visual. Uh, but I'm thrilled to have him here with us here today. He is a conservationist and entrepreneur. He's a co-founder of a company called Monograph Capital, which is a life sciences venture firm based in London and in San Francisco. And he was previously CEO of the Rhodes Trust in Oxford, board chair of Patagonia, and he also sits on the Nature Con- Conservancy European Council. 
and uh, was also the founding uh, CEO of Ticketmaster City Search, uh, that little company uh, out there. Might recognize Match.com as part of that too. And he was a partner at McKinsey and Company. So he's seen a lot. He has uh, he has worked with a number of incredible entrepreneurs and has come across a lot of, a lot of ideas and entrepreneurs and. Uh, He's written a few books, including Bulletproof Problem, right before this latest book. And in this book, he identifies six problem-solving mindsets, especially for these uncertain times. But today, we're going to have an excellent discussion about being imperfect. And I love to be imperfect. Anyone who knows me says things like focus groups, maybe, but more than anything, get out there and try and just see whether or not things work and be ready to pivot. So this really, really spoke to me on so many levels and how it's really key to be able to follow this if you are leading in uncertain times as well. So lots of practical tips in here too. And I'm so appreciative of Charles coming on the podcast today. So thank you so much for being here, Charles. I'm so excited to be here, Kara. Thank you for having me. Very excited. So you've studied being imperfect. I mean, I, I didn't know that that, was, uh, that that was a topic that you could study. If I did, I probably would have been there. I'm waiting for the, the next uh, class uh, to be um, may, maybe a major in, in being imperfect, because I think I will go back to school for sure or I could teach it, maybe, possibly, but a decade of research and 50 case studies. And you share in the book how companies that follow this approach are not afraid to step out into risk. Uh, why is this mindset so important, do you believe? Yeah, you know, I think it's, um, we were all taught to do strategy um, at a different time in the world. You know, that most of the strategic frameworks that you're taught in business schools um, or in big companies came out of the 60s, 70s, and 80s when industries were very clearly defined and where things were changing, but changing in a relatively stable path. And the truth is, none of that's true anymore. But we still think about strategy development for companies as if it was some sort of dry chess game, when, of course, it isn't. And when the world is changing the way our world is, so with programmable biology, um, automation, artificial intelligence with war, the impact of pandemic, it's very easy for those old strategic frameworks to feel like they don't, they're, they're no longer meaningful and then to be paralyzed, to be frozen and to think, well, I'm just going to wait for equilibrium. equilibrium. Equilibrium isn't coming. Stasis isn't coming. This is much more like the long-term reality that the planet has faced. And so we need to become as strategists, dynamic problem solvers, rather than cool chess players. That's the reason for the book. I, I love it. So what inspired you to write it? Were, were you thinking about this for a long time? Or were uh, was it COVID? Or what, what kind of brought it up that you just thought, huh, I need to sit down and really get these thoughts out? Yeah, so COVID really was a part of it. Um, uh, Rob McLean and I, my co-author, had um, written Bulletproof Problem Solving, which is a really, in many ways, our life work. So we worked together in McKinsey 30 years ago. And then um, as each of us left McKinsey and became entrepreneurs and started working in the science-based conservation space, um, we 
began to apply the frames that we had learned being business problem solvers to much bigger problems. And that all made a ton of sense. In the depths of the pandemic, when everything was turned upside down, we realized the previous book was a wonderful book about tools for solving problems. We didn't give people enough of the mindsets, especially under high uncertainty. So what's the mindset you use for approaching problems, not just the tools you use for approaching problems? How do you get comfortable with the idea of leaning into risk rather than sort of waiting for conditions to be perfect? And that was the genesis of the book. Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now? Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie smart. Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week too, like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices. Snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part, each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's code GOLDEN50 at factormeals.com slash GOLDEN50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. 
And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. So how do you define imperfectionism? Yeah, so, and, you know, by imperfectionism, we don't mean, you know, deliberately flawed, although that's an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like the, you know, Japanese wabi-sabi approach to um, perfection, which is to say um, how it came out of your process is good. Um, and not to not to take something that's already good and to try and make it better. And by doing that, we often overhandle things. And you've seen this all the time. And I, I think this is often true in business. And, you know, you built a large business yourself. Typically, the best way to make decisions is to sit down together with your, with your team, make your best guess of what other people are doing, competitors, suppliers, et cetera, and then actually make a decision about the path you're going to go forward on. But be on the tips of your toes or the balls of your feet so that if the market gives you a signal back, actually that didn't make sense, you can shift course, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I think that idea of um, experimentalism would be another way of um, using the term imperfectionism, to go ahead and not be afraid to get going because you can correct. As long as your decisions are reversible and of relatively modest cost. And this is a really important distinction. And one, you know, you, you were friends with Jeff Bezos back in the day. What Bezos says is decisions which close off doors and which are very expensive, those should get pushed up high in an organization. You should take them very carefully. Decisions which are reversible and which are reasonably modest cost, where you learn something by taking the action, push those down to the people who are closest to the front line and let them make strategy as dynamic problem solving. That's, that's the idea of imperfection. So in the book, you share something that Yvonne uh, Shannara, from the founder of Patagonia, said something to the effect, uh, don't exactly quote me on this, but you can study a concept and think it out on paper and spend a long time developing the strategy, and then you'll look up and someone's already there. Uh, I love so- it. Yeah, Such a great, such a great quote and so true. What does this describe to you? Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, to me, it, uh, when I, when I hear it, I think of Yvonne. Um, he, what he loves to do is prototype things and then get out in the field with himself and his friends and break them. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why Patagonia is the company it is today. So um, he's never afraid to bang something together. He's a blacksmith. You know, he, so- he sews his own clothes. He'll prototype something and then get out into the field, whether he's surfing or fishing or climbing, um, and then break it and bring bring it back and make it better. So, you know, high praise from Yvonne is good, not good enough. And 
It's that idea that we can constantly iterate rather than try and sketch something out on paper that's going to be perfect. And again, by the time you turn around, someone's beat you there, right? He'd rather get out in the field with a prototype that isn't perfect, imperfect, and break it, right? And I think we all should be thinking about strategy that way rather than, so big companies especially, you get punished if you make a mistake. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. When the world's changing this quickly, you should only get punished if you didn't learn something. Couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's uh, it's definitely something. And and uh, this is a question I had for later on in the conversation, but seems like a good place to ask it right now. Do you think schools are teaching uh, people to get outside uh, of the the box and 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 also managers inside of company? Are we teaching that? I I don't think so. No, and I, I mean, I don't understand it. It's very frustrating to me. I mean, um, business schools are getting better, but it's still funny how higher education in general is still taught as a series of disciplines that you learn um, and then you would put into practice over 40 years and get the gold watch and die. I mean, that's an absurd way to think about skills, um, le- skills and learning and an absurd way to think about your career, Right. We should be thinking about multidisciplinary learning. We should be learning how to learn. And we should definitely be, be, be taught how to be imperfectionists, how to make best guess strategies based on good rules of thumb and yes, good, good analytics, but then actually to get into it. And I don't think our schools are teaching that. They're not teaching people to be bold, confident, step into it leaders, right? I think in fact, the whole, the, the current, the current generation going through school feels more fragile than ever, mm-hmm. not not more resilient than ever. Yeah, and I think we're in a interesting time where I feel like AI uh, kind of caught people by surprise, uh, and especially uh, people who are getting out of school or out of school for a few years. Uh, you know, as I've said, many jobs that they thought they were going to be able to have. I mean, they're they're kind of quickly becoming uh, non-existent. Yeah, I think that's right. What I will say is that the beauty of AI is that it will eliminate, first of all, the most boring kinds of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, today, um, those algorithms, especially when they're just working on the on the trash heap that is the internet, are not generating things of enormous grace and beauty and creativity. And so problem solving complex problems creatively in groups of people is still the purview of humans, at least for now, right? So the most interesting work, I think, is still available to bright people. So in the book, you identify six problem-solving mindsets, especially for uncertain times, but really for any time. I mean, they were really powerful. Can, would you mind going through those? Yeah, no, I'd be happy to, and it stopped me along the way. So the six are curiosity, dragonfly eye, current behavior, collective intelligence, what we call show and tell, which is storytelling, and then imperfectionism itself, which is also the kind of master um, mindset. If you like, I'll take you through each one and give you a little example of what we mean by that. That would be great. Cool. So let's start with curiosity, because in many ways, curiosity is the parent um, instinct that's behind all of this imperfectionist or experimentalist approach to developing strategy. 
what's funny is when we're kids, we know that curiosity is our friend, right? Mm -hmm. You know, kids who are three or four years old, you, you remember, they ask 200 questions an hour, right? It's just incredible. With the, the kids, kids are just constantly asking questions because they are looking for patterns that make sense of the world for them. And the way they do that is to touch it, put it in their mouth, ask a question. And then unfortunately, as we get older and as we learn patterns that work, so imagine the first time you tried to tie your shoelace and it was so frustrating, it didn't make any sense. But by the time, after a while, you get the knot over and the double loop, and then that's a pattern that you've already solved. And we're no longer curious about how you might tie a shoe. In area after area of our lives, we extinguish that question, why? Why does that make sense? Or how does this make sense? Or when should I do that? And we become pattern imposers instead of pattern pattern recognizers and pattern curiositors. We become pattern imposers. And so when we meet something in, in, in an event, we then impose a pattern on it. And unfortunately, that loss of curiosity means we're not open to different ways of solving complex problems creatively. So my favorite example is um, Edwin Land. He's a brilliant um, chemist and scientist. He happened to be on holiday with his daughter, Jennifer, in Santa Fe, New Mexico in the 1940s. And he was going around taking pictures with his conventional film camera. And his daughter tugged on his sleeve and said, Daddy, can I see the picture? And he knelt down and he said, oh, sorry, honey. Well, the way this works is, you know, we expose a chemical emulsion to light. And then he stopped him, you know, stops himself. And he realized, like, why do we do it this way? Why do we take it to the drugstore and have it sent to a lab and come back two weeks later? Why couldn't we do that in a single process? So the curious question of his daughter created a cascade in his mind that led to the Polaroid Instamatic camera that we think of today. He borrowed a bit of curiosity from this wonderful daughter, mm -hmm. right? And we see this again and again when you look at innovation. Innovation often doesn't come from the experts in the field, mm -hmm. right? Another favorite example, one of my dear friends and one of her business school classmates um, called Kelsey Worth was um, at business school and her classmate had late in life had braces and he'd just gotten the braces off. You know, the braces were awful. Imagine being in grad school and having braces. And, you know, then he'd forget to put in his, ret his retainer and he'd have to put it in three days later and it hurt. But he noticed this cool thing, which is that meant that the retainer had actually been moving his teeth too. And the retainer, which was this clear, hard plastic, was much more attractive than the original braces were. And that led him and Kelsey to think, I wonder if we had a set of computer designed um, clear uh, um, braces, whether we could move the teeth just as we could with the terrible old metal ones. And that was the idea that led to Invisalign, which is a $20 billion business today. Didn't come from an orthodontist, didn't come from a dentist, didn't come from any, anybody who had anything to do with it. Came to someone who was curious, mm -hmm. came to someone who was curious. And they, they saw it through a different lens. And that's the second of these mindsets, which is very much a cousin or a sister to curiosity, which is we call dragonfly eye. So dragonflies have these incredibly beautiful compound eyes, 30,000 separate lenses in these eyes, plus three other lenses behind. They can see 360 degrees almost. 
and they can see spectra of color that we can't even begin to see. We like to use that. We don't really know how the insect sees, mm-hmm. but we like to use it as an analogy. We borrowed this from Philip Tetlock, who's an amazing problem solver himself, for making sure when you're about to run off into problem solving, not only do you remember to be curious, but you remember deliberately to see things through different lenses. Um, in the case of Kelsey and Zia, who was her, her partner in building the business, they saw braces from the perspective of the patient what it's like to be a person wearing braces, the curbside, right? They looked at it through that lens. And, you know, I just think that's brilliant. Um, the we, idea- Oh, I was just going to, I was going to chime in. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but it, it's fascinating because when we, uh, when I was starting Hint, we were trying to get a longer uh, shelf life. And yeah. everybody, I wanted a product that didn't have preservatives in it. And yeah. all of the bottlers that we went to uh, said, you actually can't use real fruit in a product without preservatives. Yeah. And I right. said, why? Why? <laughs> and I said, I didn't come from the industry. I came from tech. Yeah. I have no, and no one could answer the question. And my father always said to me is, if somebody can't answer the question, yeah. don't let them off the hook. Just I'll keep asking why. And uh, yeah. I was that kid. And so I just kept asking why. And I found humor in it that that people would actually run product on their lines and have these, you know, multi-million dollar manufacturing facilities and nobody knew why. And then yeah. I started wondering why there were different different beverages in the juice aisle that didn't have preservatives in them. Uh, and how were they doing it? And it ends yeah. up that juice and water are on, you know, different plants typically. Yeah. And so we found a guy, actually, you're familiar with Silicon Valley down in Watsonville, California. And we called him and my husband was, was chief operating officer of Hint and he's running an apple juice plant. And we asked him the question and he said, uh, he said, because we use heat. That's how we do. That's how we're able to do it. And so we ended up bringing that into the industry in the water industry using heat and no one was doing that. And we were shocked. And so sometimes it's just a simple, it's looking at a different industry, right? Right. Or a different category within an industry and seeing how they're doing it when no one else who has been living in that industry is willing to go there. And it was, and now it's right. Like the orthodontist couldn't see a different way of changing teeth. And for you, the conventional food scientists couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. And they, and today it's industry standard uh, that people aren't using preserve. Yeah. I mean, it was really crazy. So um, anyway, sorry to interrupt you, but not at all. I, mean, I think that's a, that's a perfect example. And another one I love of seeing things from through a different lens is, you know, Andy Jassy, who was uh, now runs Amazon, but at this time was just a guy working for Jeff. And they had developed, you know, this, uh, you know, server farms and what became what we now call cloud computing. Right. And it and they had developed it for Amazon's own uses. Mm-hmm. But it was Jassy one day who said, huh. I wonder if this set of tools could be useful for our customers, right? And nobody else thought about that. So why didn't cloud computing come out of 
IBM, right? Or Oracle or one of these other giant computing shops. It didn't. It came out of Amazon. And now Amazon's still one of the biggest players in cloud computing, right? It takes, it takes that curiosity and it takes a willingness to see things through a different lens. We always start by saying, at the very least, imagine what this looks like from your supplier. Imagine what this looks like to your, com- your customer. What does it look like to a competitor or an incipient competitor or to someone who you might like to be your customer but isn't your customer today? And ask them to look at what you're doing and say, how does that make sense or doesn't make sense, right? And that that's that you know critical second mindset. Definitely. Well, I, and I think there's as uh, that point was coming up in the book. I thought you know when you have these moments where uh, people are coming up inside of organizations with these ideas, you need a leader that is yeah. willing to. Uh, be open to those ideas. But also, I think typically when you're coming up with these ideas, it's not about cost savings, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, wow, that could be really great. That could help us a lot. Maybe like cost savings probably is part of it somewhere in there, but that's not what they're leading with, right? It's not a bottom line. If we could do this, then we could save lots of money. Yeah. You and you agree? know, sometimes that's a good, yeah, sometimes that's a good lens too, but and what each what you were doing just there is trying on different lenses, right? Mm-hmm. Those are a different lens. Sometimes the right lens is, I wonder how I could save money. But usually it's not. Usually the lens is, I wonder if this would be useful, right? So and I think, you know, back to that Yvonne Chouinard quote, I mean, that's how he thinks. Yeah. Looks at no. something and says, huh, I wonder, I wonder, there's a better way to do this. I bet there's a better way to do this, right? So interesting. So... Sorry, I interrupted you before. I'd love to hear the the rest of the six. Sure, you know, and I think that's a very natural segue to the third one, which we call occurrent behavior, which is a funny sort of language. But what occurrent behavior means is what actually happens, not what you hoped happened or what you wish happened. Occurrent behavior drives us to think about how could we generate our own data. Mm-hmm. When I was a young management consultant at McKinsey. The very first thing we do when we when we got a new project working with a company was we go try and find the existing data sets that were commercially available in that industry, right? And when I think about it now, I just think that's nuts because if you can buy a data set, so can anybody else, mm-hmm. right? If you generate your own data by thinking up your own experiment, you're likely to generate insights that nobody else has, right? And so... With, with the advent of the internet and software, people are now more open-minded about experimentation. You know, when you design a website, people know about A-B testing. Try this interface, try this interface, see which one sells more widgets, right? But what's interesting is we can take that idea of creating your own experiments, pardon me, much more broadly than um, just internet comparisons. So one of my favorite examples here is in the heaviest of heavy industries, which is space. Um, You know, NASA has been around for 70 years. Um, They've been spending billions and billions of dollars um, sending payloads into space, including humans into space. So can you imagine that anyone could come along and revolutionize that industry by being more experimental? Sounds nuts, right? Elon Musk, whether you love him or don't love him, right? is an incredible entrepreneur. And so he tackled space. And what did they do? 
So they've done all kinds of clever things, and we don't need to spend a ton of time on it. But the biggest thing they've done is instead of sending three or four um, missions into space a year, they're now doing 20 or 30 a year. Mm -hmm. Each time they do it, they're testing something new. 3D printing component parts, using nets to catch the expensive nose cones, using um, materials from the automotive industry that are used for heat shielding that's much cheaper than stuff that's designed specifically for, for space travel. Every single time they do um, a, a launch, they're testing something. Sometimes it fails. Most recently with their giant rock, rocket, they had what's called an unplanned disassembly, right? But if you listen to them ahead of time, they said, this may well fail, but there's 20 new things that we're testing as we send this rocket into space. They weren't afraid to be imperfect. They, all they were afraid to do was to have something break without them learning something from it. And so by being willing to experiment at scale, they've driven down the cost curve of sending things into space in a way that's just unfathomable. So 95% reduction in the cost to send a kilogram into space. Hmm. Which is nuts from like crazy. Yeah. Imagine from 50,000 down to a couple thousand over the course of less than 15 years, hmm. right? By developing and testing experiments. And we, you can almost, you, any industry you think of, you can bring experimentation developed and designed by you into that space. So interesting. I love the example in the book with the Nature Conservatory. Can you share yeah. that situation? Yeah. So, so, so th this shifts us to the to 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 the next um, mindset, and it's just it's one of my favorite examples. So, and I'll start with Bill Joy, you know, who was the founder of Sun Microsystems, and who you know came through Berkeley before. Just this amazing human, and he he's famous for something called Joy's Law. And Joyce Law said, the sm says, the smartest people probably aren't working for you. And so Joy thought about that and thought, how can I get those other clever people that are out there laboring in my garden, his actual words. And he, he took a piece of a lesson from when he was at Berkeley, where they were working on Unix, the common computer system that was originally uh, many, many years before developed at uh, AT&T, but then became open source. With open source software, you have engineers from all around the world who are making it better. No one gets paid for it, but it becomes a collaborative project. That Unix is still the backbone today of both the Apple operating system and the Microsoft operating system, the PC operating system. In a way, what our, most of our software companies do today is really just the last mile. That is the customer application. We're, we are all based in Unix, this open source again, getting all these clever people to work toward a common aim. What, the, the, the specific example here is how can we use that idea of collective wisdom, especially when we don't know how to do something? So the Nature Conservancy is interested in saving um, fish species and other animal species that are endangered. And they know when people do live capture of fish at sea, whether they use nets or hooks, the fish come onto the you know, rocking boat at sea, often in storms, have to make split-second decisions about whether a fish is one they should keep, it's okay, they're abundant, or not. And you know, ev everyone knows you can put motion cameras on, uh, uh, moving cameras on uh, these ships, but no one knew how you could take those images and quickly make decisions. 
So what they did is they put out a Kaggle. Kaggle's a platform for doing uh, idea competitions. They put a $150,000 prize, so almost nothing, right? 3,000 different companies and people submitted ideas. And the one that won was a computer vision algorithm that looked at the shape of gill plates and fins and quickly could determine, no, that's an endangered tuna. Please put that over the side carefully. Or that's a tuna that's okay to catch and eat. So the Nature Conservancy, which had no um, MLAI capabilities in-house, was able to externally source a wonderful idea. They were able to tap into collective wisdom. Um, and I just, I think it's, you know, as we develop strategies, we need to remember that we shouldn't be hermetically sealed. Our company should be porous and we should be learning wherever we can from other people. So maybe you're listening to this interview and you're thinking, uh, this is not my organization at all, right? I, I do not have the right people. I, I, I'm not this person. What do you do? Yeah, so I think you can start in all kinds of very simple ways. You know, what you can do, when you're doing your strategy workshops, make sure you do perspective taking, which mm -hmm. means you really do step out of your own shoes and say, what would this look like from the perspective of a potential competitor? It also means that you might set aside, let's say if I said to you, you put $1.10 aside of your research budget to do open sourcing of ideas or to use crowdsourcing via these various platforms so that you bring in just one in $10, you bring in ideas from outside, right? That doesn't sound like an impossible thing to do in any firm. And so just like the idea of being an imperfectionist means stepping into risk, we think you can step into these ideas without sort of feeling like you're overthrowing everything about your company. No, I think that's great advice. And if you're interviewing people uh, for these skills, anything that you uh, would would ask people to try and probe if they have uh, this aspect in in their in their DNA, I guess, or yeah. Well, so um, I think the worst thing you can do in an interview is ask people sort of rote questions. Yeah. The best thing you can do is ask them problems and get them to tell stories, right? So I love to do, well, what if? What if you find yourself in a situation where, you know, you had to, you had to determine quickly which species of fish should come over the side? What would you do, right? And you get people who try and have very prepared or formal answers, and you get people where you can see that they're genuinely curious. Right. And I look for curiosity. Um, I look for creativity. Um, and I look for people who are willing to step outside of their own experience. Right. Ego is the, is sort of the death of great strategic thinking. Right. That's and we all have it. Right. Yeah. We all have it. But the more you can let go of your attachment to your previous frames of what works and doesn't work the more likely it is you'll be able to develop a clever strategy. So such an incredible book. Thank you so much for coming on, Charles. I, I really appreciate it. And Charles Kahn and Robert McLean uh, wrote this book, The Imperfectionists. Excellent, excellent. I'm going to go back and read parts of it uh, as well. But thank you again, Charles. Really appreciate it. We'll all have all the info in the show notes as well. So I love being here, Tara. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. 
And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey, including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023. And goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.